You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We'll take your calls and answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, health and fitness on the road, getting started as an owner-operator, finding freight, working with brokers, getting your authority, you name it, we'll talk about it. All you have to do is pick up the phone and call me. We're going to get to those calls in a little bit. I want to kind of give you a recap on the Great American Truck Show. Um, Saturday, I was at the show, had a lot going on, so we didn't do a live show on Saturday. I did on Sunday. Um, I did a little bit of a recap then. I'm still recovering. That was one of the busiest truck shows for me, not necessarily the show itself. The show itself was about normal. I really doesn't matter when I go to a truck show, whether it's a really busy year or a slow year, because either way, I talk to people virtually nonstop. This year, I gave eight hours of seminars talked to a lot of people in between. The difference was virtually every morning, every day at lunch, and every evening, I had meetings set up with new technology companies. And normally, I don't have to do that. I've been going to truck shows for 25 years and covering a lot of products and services. So each year, there'd only be a couple new things I'd really be interested in. This year, the amount of money flooding into technology was just amazing. I saw so many ideas, so many concepts, so many new tech companies, so many new apps. And I really wanted to learn as much about those as I could. So I spent a lot of time meeting. Now, the interesting thing about meeting with these companies is they're not in the trucking industry or they weren't. That's not their background. Most of the time when I meet with a company, they, they've been in the industry. They understand it. These companies just wanted to know everything about trucking. So there might be 10 of us in the meeting, and I would do 95% of the talking. I, you know, I love helping people understand this industry. They were really interested in the small carrier owner-operator market. That's why they wanted to meet with me. Um, I had a great time. I learned a lot. I'm excited about a lot of things. I'm a little worried about some other things. We are definitely going through a major disruption. That's, we've been talking about that for over a year now. Um, some of it looks very positive. Some of it, maybe not so much. I'd love to get your feedback. I posted about five articles on Facebook today just on things I've been following for a while with rates and technology and autonomous vehicles and apps. I'd love to get your feedback. If you have been working with companies like Uber Freight, Convoy, Trucker Path, Transfix, want to hear your feedback. Are they paying good rates? I've seen some of their rates and they're better than average. Um, Uber definitely has money to burn. I think their long game is 
you know, lure a bunch of uh, small carriers, owner operators into the fold. They'll build their freight base. They'll give up more of the rate. One, because it's automated and they can. Uh, two, because I think they look at it as an investment into the future to capture all of that freight. My fear is they're also spending a lot of money on autonomous technology, which is something I want to talk about. I have been talking about autonomous vehicles for most of the last 12 months or so. Everything is pure speculation. We don't know the answers. We don't know the timelines. I do read the analyst. I read what the companies are predicting, but I don't know. I don't know if this is five years, 10 years, 15. I don't think it's more than that. And, you know, to me, 15 years really isn't that long of a time. 10 isn't much. And five is the blink of an eye. There is a Chinese company in Arizona right now who claims, this is their claim, that they will have a fleet of level five autonomous vehicles on the road in five years. Level five means no human intervention. I have not seen anybody else who believes that we could get to level five in just five years. This company claims they can. Again, I, I have no idea. I'm just watching the news. But here are some really interesting numbers. You know, everybody wants to talk about, well, autonomous won't happen because the truck can't do this. Autonomous won't happen because the regulations won't change. I mean, there are a lot of, a lot of there's a lot of speculation about why it won't happen. Well, the biggest reason why it will happen is just money. Money drives everything in business. We don't need any new scientific breakthrough to make autonomous vehicles work. We have all of the technology we need. That technology just needs to be networked together correctly. And we have a lot of work to work out all the bugs. But that's how computers and software and automation always work. So that's nothing new. We will see all of that. But the way you work out the bugs is you get it to a point where it's relatively safe and you put it on the road and then you start working out the problems. The more money available, the faster this will happen. Now, I've said I believe it will happen in trucking first because there is so much money to be saved. I don't think people have any idea. When you watch the analyst, that's what they're focusing on. I have not been able to come up with numbers in trucking. I, you know, I could probably put some ideas together, but it would be a lot of work. I mean, a lot of work. It would be weeks of gathering data and I don't think it really matters. Somebody will do those numbers. Um, but I did find some numbers in the taxi cab industry because Uber is heavily developing and testing autonomous cabs. Makes total sense. They've captured the market in riders. Now they're going to come in with their own autonomous vehicles and capture all of the profit in the entire transaction. But listen to these numbers about savings. This is incredible to me. It says research, and I, I posted all of this on Facebook, plus a bunch of other articles about new technology. So go over and check it out. 
I uh, also wrote this on a blog post on our website, letstruck.com. Here, here's a quote. Research from asset management firm ARK Invest released earlier this year forecasted that Uber rides in autonomous cars. So they're predicting the cost of riding in an Uber-owned autonomous vehicle would, would cost the passenger 25 cents a mile. Right now, the cost of an Uber taxi ride is about $2.15 per mile. When I first saw that number, I thought it had to be a misprint. But then they backed it up with some facts and some reasons why. Let's say they are off even by 100%, 50%. Let, let's slash their number. Instead of a ride costing 25 cents a mile, which they're predicting, let's call it 50. I have a feeling they're not that far off. But if they were, 50 cents a mile instead of 215 a mile is a huge huge disruptor to that marketplace. I can't even imagine what the numbers are going to look like in trucking what somebody does them. That's why I keep talking about this. Now, the good news is, I always want to find the good news. The good news is that as the disruption is happening, which will take decades, just because, let's say we do have level five automation in five years, that doesn't mean you wake up one day and every vehicle on the road is autonomous, not even close. We will see a phase in over decades. So there's still lots of time, but the time is on the side of the people who are informed and prepared. That has been my entire mission. That's why I read this stuff. That's why I took the time to go to those meetings. That's why I talk to the researchers and the analysts and try to figure out where we're going, because I want my listeners to be informed and prepared because this is not all doom and gloom. This could be really good news in the short to medium term, meaning in the next five to say 15 or even 20 years, I think there could be a lot of opportunity. You know, I've been in the industry 30 years. I believe I have at least 10 more. Uh, we'll see. Maybe longer, maybe shorter. I doubt it. But I'm really looking forward to this 10 years. I think it'll be the most exciting of the years I'll spend in this industry. All right, there's the music. I'm going to get to a break. We're going to come right back and get to your phone calls right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thank you. 
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, uh, let's skip that. We're going to go right to the calls. We've got all kinds of calls lined up. So we are off to Tennessee. Michael, welcome to the program. How you doing, Kevin? Good. What's on your mind today? I got a quick question. Um, I let my truck idle for about five or 10 minutes before I shut it down every time I get done. And sometimes in the morning I wake up and there's a big puddle of uh, oil under the blow-by tube. Is that normal? Is this a Series 60? Yes, it is. Okay, quantify a big puddle. I mean, are we talking a pint? I, I, I wouldn't know how to measure it. You know how oil disperses so bad, but the puddle is probably about a foot in diameter. That's pretty big. Um, yeah, I mean, it, but I mean, that's on concrete. You know, it spreads out a lot on concrete, you know. Yeah, how many miles are on this engine? Uh, about three hundred, about four hundred thousand. And are you burning oil? Are you having to add a lot of oil between this and burning it, any? How often do you have to put in a gallon? It's about it's about it's over ten thousand miles. I don't know the exact amount, but it's over ten thousand miles. I can go without adding a, a gallon. Yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about it. That's pretty solid for a Series sixty. What you could do is a crankcase pressure test just to see if we're building unusual amounts of pressure and that's what's forcing the oil out. You know, having stuff, the reason I ask if it was a Series 60 is because that engine is kind of notorious for blowing smoke out of that thing for no apparent reason, for dripping oil occasionally. Um, I, it, I, ever since I've owned those engines in the early 90s, that's been a common thing. So if it's not really consuming a lot of oil, I wouldn't worry too much, but I might just, Next time I was in a shop, I might just do a crankcase pressure test. Yeah, it doesn't do it all the time. It's not every night. I'm talking maybe once every five or six nights I shut down, I wake up and there's a puddle. It's not every night. Yeah, that, um, and that's what I mean. It's so unusual. It, it's intermittent. We've seen this over and over that it's just kind of odd why it does it once in a while, doesn't do it another time. So, um, like I say, I, I don't think I would worry about it. We, we've seen this over the years. And if you're concerned, a crankcase pressure test might tell us if we've got anything really going wrong. All righty. Thanks, Kevin. That's all I need to know. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to North Carolina. Scott, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, I've got a question. Uh, with the e-log mandate coming down and whatnot, I've run them before. I have no problem running e-log, so that's not the issue. The guy I work for, the company we're pulling for right now, he's he's so happy with it because he makes so much money. What he's not seeing, we're on paper now is what I'm doing. But he's so happy with the money that he doesn't realize when the e-log mandate comes down, he's not going to be making as much money. We have an opportunity to go to, I don't know if I care if I say it or not, I'm going to a Mercer uh, yes. to pull their freight with being on e-logs. And we know they know how to dispatch, or I know they know how to dispatch an e-logs. The company we work for now has no clue what's coming. They expect you to okay. leave Michigan and be in Atlanta for 3 a.m. the next morning, and, and they don't care. Just do it. Got figure it. it out. Get it there, you know. Right. So we're just, in my mind, it makes more sense to go over to Mercer where I can pick and choose freight to get us out of areas. We have someone that will dispatch us over there. We've pulled for them before here and there, a few loads. 
long term, I think it's better to go over there. I don't know what your opinion is because I think we should just jump ship from here and just, you know, because he's going to lose the money either way. Yeah. So here's my thought. Clearly, I don't want to be with a company that operates like the company you're talking about. I wouldn't have wanted to be there under paper logs, and I certainly don't want to be there under e-logs. That's going to be a disaster. So leave is is a good thing no matter where you go. Uh, Well, as long as you go to someplace better. I can clearly tell you that the the working environment at Mercer is completely opposite of that. They are not – looking to break any rules or push anybody or, you know, even fudge on the rules. They run a really tight ship. They're in a very good way. They have an awesome, um, you know, kind of almost family environment. It's on the smaller side for some carriers. So it does feel like a smaller company. They've got, like I say, that, that tight knit kind of feel. I love their culture at Mercer and They've maintained good rates, so and they are on top of ELDs and how we're going to have to dispatch and where we're going to make up time. So they're going to be a much better company to work for um, in this transition. Over the years, there have been very, very few carriers I will align myself with. The problem is all the recruiting they do. Things change constantly. You know, one company I'll think is good for a while, and then they're not so great. And we've just avoided partnering very close with, with fleets. I get, you know, fleets have so much recruiting money. I get requests all the time. We've been very careful to stay away from them. And there have only been a couple. Um, Landstar is a company I've worked with forever. I respect that company and, and love their system. It's a great opportunity for a lot of people. Mercer has one of the best cultures that I've ever met, and they have good paying freight. People that have been there have been there for years and love it. Um, there's another company out of Canada, Canada called Traffics. Um, they just opened an office in Dallas this past week. Um, the CEO of Traffics knows more about the trucking industry and what it's been through than almost anybody else I know. He works with us a lot. He helps us in our education programs. So we support Traffics as well. Um, other than that, that's about it. Um, so okay. you certainly picked a company that I've respected for years, and uh, we respect them enough to partner with them. Yeah, the lady that we deal with there at Mercer every now and then, she had come to us with uh, loads coming out of Canada going down to Texas. But the problem we face is once we get down in that area, it's hit and miss on getting straight back. Well, I, I don't getting straight back has never been my thing. Cause as I've learned through you and other people, it's do a try haul, do something, make more money on the route than go straight home. So it, it, he's, he's looking, he's always looked for someone just to dispatch us. He doesn't care how it works. I I'd rather go over to Mercer and be able to pick and choose what I want to do and move my own freight, you know, which he doesn't trucks mine to run as I want. And, over here, he's making good money, but what he's not seeing is what we're doing to make the money for him. And when the e-logs come, he's going to lose $2,000 a week easy because we won't be able to do the loads the way they dispatch them. So I'd rather see him go over there and be able to make money steady instead of just losing a boatload right off the top, you know? I, I agree. And, so. and, you know, those, those days of, you know, I, I just told a story on Sunday of, you know, back in the 80s when I was running. And, you know, we can look back now and call it kind of call it the outlaw days. Um, 
The difference was I, I was I was pushing pretty hard sometimes. Uh, the difference was I ran on my own. So it wasn't anybody pushing me except myself. And and I did believe in safety. I just believe that the hours of service, honestly, are a mess. They don't work the way a human body does. Um, if it were me, we would rewrite the entire program. There would be a lot more flexibility. And back then, that's what the really good drivers did. They, they created their own flexibility in the rules. Uh, or we could just say they flat out broke them. Um, that those days are gone. We're not going to do that anymore. Correct. That that's not going to happen, and the market is going to have to adjust for it. I wish, I wish that we could say, okay, look, we have these clunky hours of service rules that have never worked right. We keep trying to tweak them, and it's just getting worse. Now we have all this new technology. Why don't we scrap everything and start over? Let's look at what we have for technology and how it could actually make us safer and more efficient. But instead, we keep trying to force everything into this lousy hours of service system. Um, but that is what it is. So we have to live with it and adjust to it. So I think you're making a very good move. Okay. Okay. That's one more quick question here. I'm, I'm thinking about buying my own truck. Um, the truck I'm currently in, I've driven it since we got it as a company. Um, I know the ins and outs of this truck. I know that means a lot to me because going jumping something else that you don't know and have to learn it and it breaks down in you. I know all the maintenance on it. The only problem is it's a truck you hate. It's a W9. It consistently gets six miles a gallon on a 90 or 6.3 miles a gallon on a 90 day average. That's on tall rubber, no modifications, no nothing, just a stock ISX in it. Um, would this, if, He's looking to sell it to me for about forty-five thousand. It, like I said, truck looks brand new. But is that something I should consider, or just walk away from it and go find something else? Or what year did you say it was? It's a 2013, 14. It's right, right on that tipping point. I, I've never really looked at it. I know it's a 13, 14. If you could get the uh, engine serial number, you, you're right there in that year where the, the, the ISX made some huge improvements in the last couple of years. It sounds like you're right there on the borderline. I would want to run that engine serial number by the guys at Pittsburgh Power and see if there's any reason not to have that one. And then the other thing I would okay. say is just look at this as any other truck on the market and compare it to what other trucks are out there as far as value. Just because you know it's there doesn't always mean it's the best buy. You gotta go compare it to what's happening out in the market. Stick around, we'll be right back with more stuff. I'm Kevin Rothberg.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Hey, don't forget if you uh, have missed the last couple weekend shows, we have launched Let's Truck University. That is our online training program. We are going to be writing multiple, many, many courses over the next, actually, I've got things planned out about two years right now. Um, we have two courses loaded. I've got 30 more outlined and probably another 20 after that in the idea stage. Um, you can find them all right now at letstruck.com. They're right there on the homepage. We are going to be writing training programs for uh, business, financial, maintenance, and health. Those are, will be our major categories. So we will be partnering um, with other companies that have, you know, real specialty kind of knowledge in those areas, and we'll be bringing those courses to you on a pretty regular basis. The beauty of these courses, we can keep the cost way down. We've released two courses already. One was $29, one was $15, and we have committed to taking the money we're making from those courses to create new courses so that we can get more content up uh, sooner. So check it out. We would love to have your support. The more people that enroll in these courses, the lower we can keep the cost and the more courses we can put out. So that's a real win-win for everybody. So check those out. Again, it's at letstruck.com. We are going to get back to some phone calls. Let's go to Washington. Chad, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin, how you doing? I got an oil sample, hopefully, for you there. All right, let's take a look. Uh, I like number one on an oil sample because they're usually pretty darn easy. Um, the only thing I see that seems high, and I'm not sure why, we don't have any fuel dilution. We don't have any real soot to be worried about. Viscosity looks good. Oh, this is a new CK4 oil, though, isn't it? The 10W30. Um, I, I, I bought the truck from Schneider, and they told me they put in the Dello 1030 Extreme, and I did add a gallon of Dello 1040, so I think that might be why the viscosity was flagged there, but That's it doesn't look too bad. Yeah, so here's always our concern when we go to a lighter weight oil. We like lighter weight oils because they create less drag in the engine. We get better performance, better fuel economy. We have to find that balancing point. Where do we get the most efficiency, still have plenty of protection for the engine, is the lighter we make the oil, the less it will protect. So we're, we're trying to find that balance point. The reason I'm bringing this up is with 25,000 miles on the oil, I would expect your iron to be around 20 parts per million. Yours is at 57. That's pretty high for 25,000 miles. And there, you know, there's no reason the oil, we don't have a lot of soot or fuel or coolant, something that would attack the metal. So it's just one number. It's not outrageously high, but it's almost double what we normally see. So I would continue well, I, to sample at 25,000 miles, and we'll continue to keep an eye on that. Okay. Yeah, I don't have the OPS on my truck. Um, I plan to get it. 
but uh, they were doing the oil changes every 50,000 miles. And I thought I'd just do an oil sample and see whether or not you thought maybe I needed to change the oil. Uh, no, there's no reason to change the oil unless you wanted to try another brand. And, and sometimes we see one 10W30 doesn't protect that engine quite so well, and another one might do better. And it's not always consistent. So it's not like it, I, I, for years, I have wanted to find an oil that I could say, this oil is better than all these oils. Every now and then I find one where I think, well, it's a little better or it's got this, but none of them are consistent. So to me, they're, as long as you're buying a good premium oil, meaning a synthetic or synthetic blend, those are the oils I like. But as far as brand, I don't really find any big difference between kind of like the boutique, you know, the smaller brands. Honestly, if I had to pick an oil that is, has consistently given the best results, it's Rotella. Okay. And do you think that so, synthetic oil would be a good good thing to oh, change yeah. it over to? For a DD15, okay. I wouldn't run anything but synthetic. Yeah. And, and then that's why I really like the OPS, because we can get 150, 200,000 miles out of that synthetic and we get our money back. Okay. All right. Sounds great. I'll get that OPS and change it over. All right. Perfect. Thanks for the call. We're going to head off to Ohio. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kev. I, I'm a federal motor carrier uh, operating under my own numbers, and it uh, seems like I'm, I'm trying to avoid uh, using factoring companies. Uh, apparently, factoring company I'm currently using, uh, Steelhead Finance, claims that they ran a quick uh, UCC, and they found some minutiae ridiculous reason to uh, temporarily stop factoring loads, and they're sitting on a lot of my money. What Nice. Should I do in a situation like that? Because uh, they have my money, they have my invoices, and uh, I want to eliminate this factoring uh, circuit and try to just find shippers or brokers that will pay uh, sh in you know short time frame. Yeah, you know this has always been a problem in the industry. Um, I have never been a fan of factoring, and what people don't realize, factoring isn't just in trucking. Factoring is in every single business that exists, really. Uh, it, it's just, it, it exists because the number one problem in most businesses is cash flow. You know, you're trying mm -hmm. to keep the business running and you're waiting for your money to come in. So it creates an opportunity. But factoring is right. really, really expensive money. That, that's the problem yeah. with it. People say, oh, no, it's 5%. And, and that makes me crazy because it's 5% per month. That means that's a 6% annual interest rate. And people fight with me constantly about that because they don't understand the time value of money. The good news is the industry has been moving pretty rapidly to better options. Um, Truckstop.com released a, a load pay. Unfortunately, that has to start at the broker side. So they've got to push that product out and get more brokers using it. And it is a, it, it's technically a form of factoring, but it's so much more flexible and it, it gives you much more control over your money. 
You're not locked in like you are on this. Um, so it's got a lot of advantages. Uh, I recently talked with some of these new brokers that are basically tech companies um, like Convoy. And Convoy mm-hmm. is offering money in 24 hours at no charge. So we're, we're moving in that direction. The shippers are never going to do it, by the way. Let's forget that. The brokers, and this is something the operators don't realize, the brokers finance all of that freight. They wait 30, 45, 60 days to get paid by shippers, and they're paying drivers a whole lot faster than that, and and they're the ones floating and financing all this money. So to get back to your question, what can you do about this? Mm The problem in the real world is even when a company we're dealing with breaks the law, and I'm not sure if they are here or not. My guess is they're not. I'd have to look at all the contracts, and you know they write contracts. They're they're, they're sitting on my invoices, and uh, the person at Steelway told me that that they're not going to release them. And I find that hard to believe because they haven't paid me, so technically they don't own the invoices, and how could they sit on them? Well, and that's kind of what I mean. Without me being able to see all of the documentation, contracts, all of that stuff, there's no way for me to comment on whether what they're doing is legal or not. But my point is, honestly, it doesn't even matter. This is what what we struggle with a lot. And I struggle with this in a lot of areas, whether it's a shop that totally screwed up somebody's truck or won't even release their truck. I mean, I could go worth, if it's a carrier not releasing money, if it's a carrier not paying for things they said they were going to, we could sit down and say, yes, all of those things are absolutely wrong. They're breaking the contract. But here's the mm-hmm. rub. In the real world, what are you going to do about it? Right. That, that's what I try to sure. get across. People. Hold that thought because the music's playing. I'll come back. We'll talk about this. And uh, I don't think I'm going to have any really good ideas for you, but we can at least get you in the right direction. We'll be right back. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rothsford. We're down to the final segment. We're going to get uh, right back to the phone calls. I was talking with John in Ohio. So, John, that, that's the shock that most people have. And they'll call me and they'll say, but they can't do that. And I'll say, oh, no, they can. And they did. The question is, what are you going to do? 
And they'll say, but they can't do it. It's illegal. I have this guy. I get all that. But this happens all the time. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, if somebody is breaching a contract or even breaking the law, our only real recourse is through the court system. And if, if does convoy does convoy offer twenty four hour funeral dancing and uh, quick pay? Does convoy do that? I'm sorry. Say that again. Do they do what? You mentioned convoy. Do they offer a f- uh, funeral dancing and twenty uh, four hour quick pay on their uh, services? They, you they mentioned definitely con- have twenty four hour pay. They have the, you know, you, you, and they make it super easy right on your convoy app. You snap a picture of the bill of lading, you upload it right in their system and you get paid in 24 hours. Then you have, you know, the time between transfers, but it's as fast as you're going to get it. And they claim there's no charge for that. Now, obviously they're getting it somewhere in the rate, um, but they seem to be offering pretty good rates right now. Um, Uber. And the only options are check stuff. The only options are truck stop and convoy. That would be it pretty much. Oh, no. Um, This has been my whole, I just wrote a big blog post about this this morning. This kind of technology is flooding into the market. Um, Trucker's Path just secured $30 million in financing to be able to fund quick pay options through their app. Transfix is in this. There's a ton of companies jumping into this. So I think the pay issue is going to be solved fairly quickly with technology and these other programs. So the good news is going forward, I think things are going to get better. The bad news is where you're stuck right now, I just don't think there's much you can do. This is why I talk so much. And, and there's always the risk. I talk so much about building relationships with every company we, de- de- you know, we need for it to, to run our business and many times, the only way to build those relationships is to start the service and see how things go. And we can get burned. I, I, I've been burned, you know, partnering with companies, I don't know how many times. And you just try to catch it early, move on, minimize the damage until you find that company that you can work with. You know, you want to move away from factoring completely. I, I agree with that 100%. I would rather see somebody. The problem is most owner operators don't have good enough credit to do this. I would rather see somebody get two or three credit cards with $10,000 limits and finance their own operation that way. Mm-hmm. But the short, in the short term, I mean, you said convoy truckstop.com and any, anybody uh, else? Uh, Trucker path is doing some of this stuff. Uh, Transfix, I think might be doing something similar to this. Uh, many, many brokerages directly, you know, the brokers themselves are offering quicker pay options that many times are better, not, not fantastic. You have to look at each individual company and look at the details of what they're offering and what it's costing. That's where a lot of drivers have a hard time. They don't understand the contracts and the numbers. Let's go to uh, Mississippi. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Um, What's on your mind today? The two coolest things I saw at the truck show. The first one was Mirror Eye. You know about that? No, I haven't seen that yet. What is it? Well, it's a, instead of having mirrors on your truck, there's a camera. 
that faces backwards and it when yeah. you make the corner it'll 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 follow you always see the back of the trailer or you see where your tandems are as you go around the corner it's got night vision and I t- and then your your screens they're mounted on the inside of the truck looks just like a mirror you got one on one on left and one on the right on your a pillars and yes. it was really cool it was crystal clear you know, and showed it showed it driving in the rain and you could see the the wet window and the wet mirror and then you looked at the screen that you had in the truck crystal clear yeah you know when we when we built the original signature truck back in 08 and 09 I looked at this technology because the the technology to do this was available back then. This isn't, I mean, this isn't really new. The problem was the FMCSA would not make exceptions. You absolutely had to have external mirrors and the mirrors, they even specify the square inches of glass that has to be the size of the mirror. So we, we, lots of people had this idea back then. You just couldn't do it. I did see that one of the super trucks, I can't remember if it was, it might've been international. They actually used this technology in their super truck and exactly the way you just described it. The screens, you know, are on the inside on the pillars. So you're, you're still looking relatively right in the same place you're used to looking. They were crystal clear. They followed the tandems on the trailer. I, to me, this is one of those no-brainer technologies. You know, why didn't we approve this a long time ago? And then the other, the other cool thing I saw, which we all know about, is the Dorothy. But it was, con- it, I sort of envisaged, envisaged what it would look like. Well, I, I was pretty close, but it was quite a bit taller than what I thought. I thought, oh, it's probably about eight inches tall. Well, it's right. about sixteen, but. When I got back over to my truck, I put the hood up and I measured, and uh, I think I I might have to get them to shorten my, shorten the bowl up on the bottom or something because I don't think I've got enough space to put it in there. But I'll talk to John and see what he can do. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I was I was um, I had seen pictures of it before, quite a few inside and out, but I didn't realize from the pictures it was as big as what it was either. And the more I looked at it, the more I realized why it's that size. What amazed me, and I'm sure you saw this, was the amount of soot that thing is capturing. That was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just about as much as I had in my manifold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah, it, it was, I was yeah. shocked at how, I mean, a bottle, a, you know, a, a test kind of size bottle, three quarters of the way full of soot from like 10,000 yep. miles. That's nothing. And then my final comment for the day, uh, and Dale made a comment about this yesterday, was the personal appearance of some truck drivers. I'm not against people wearing short pants and a T-shirt. I do it all the time. But have a shower more than once a week, comb your hair, and put on clean clothes. goes a long way. It really does. And isn't that a sad commentary on where we've come to in this industry? You know, um, my image of the trucking industry growing up was my father. Um, My father was better dressed driving the truck than some people who worked, many people who worked in the office at the time. That was always my image of a truck driver. My dad wore creased dress pants 
polished dress shoes, a button-up short-sleeved dress shirt, creased. That that was the only way he ever went to work. And many other drivers were like that back then. And that's that's what I thought of in trucking until I bought my first truck and went over the road. And, And even back then, in the late 80s, I realized that that wasn't the norm. Um, and every year it's just gotten worse to the point where it's just Joel, almost embarrassing. Joel, um, not everybody has to dress like Henry Albert, but maybe we should. Yeah. yeah. You know, Henry took something relatively simple, just changing the way he dressed and he created a personal brand. You know, people in the industry know Henry Albert for a lot of things, not two big ones now. It started off by the way he dressed. He he branded himself brilliantly by doing that. And then over the years, he's become a, just a real wealth of knowledge in fuel economy. And now he's really known for both. But what got him started and, you know, made people notice him was the fact that of the way he dressed and it was just brilliant. So that's all I got today. Thank you very much. All right. That's all I need. Good stuff. I'm looking at the clock and I'm not going to be able to do justice to another call. We are just about out of time. So I'm going to have to wrap this up and we will do it next time. These weeknight shows just fly by. Um, but that's the way it is. So we'll see you here next time. Check out the website. It's letstruck.com. Check out the courses online. We have one health course, one business course. They're very inexpensive. They're loaded with knowledge, videos, audios, worksheets, questions. And also drop me a line and tell me what other courses you would like to see. I have a lot in mind already, but I'd love to hear what you want. You can send that to send an email to support at letstruck.com. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you next time. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.